Good morning and welcome. Uh, just a, a little addendum uh, relative to that announcement about Puerto Rico. Uh, we're actually having a tractor and trailer drop off a trailer tomorrow, so uh, we're going to need lots of perishables. And so the sooner we get that thing filled up, the sooner it's going to get to Puerto Rico. So um, might want to tell you know, any of your neighbors, any of your friends. Um, did I say perishables? Okay. All right. See, they knew. <laughs> okay. Well, we start off on a good foot here. Uh, let's turn our Bibles to chapter 2 of Revelation, uh, verses 12 through 17. And we look at another church, one of the seven, one of the magnificent seven. This church, his name was Pergamos. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. For I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you and where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, and to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name, written which no one knows except him who, or she who, receives it. Lord, we praise you. We are so grateful to have, Lord, to have your word, to have the blessed Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who has not left us to ourselves. But, Lord, you guide us. You grant us wisdom. You give us faith. And, Father, I pray that in these days, Lord, we would not shrink back. But, Lord, as we see this man put before us as an example, Antipas, that we would take our stand, taking our stand for righteousness' sake, Lord, not denying your name, being faithful to you. Lord, uh, from time to time, Lord, we may find ourselves compromised. And we thank you, Lord, that you love us so dearly that you would not leave us there. But Lord, you're always working to bring us to higher ground, Lord, to protect us from the things that would, Lord, neutralize our lives. Lord, how important it is that, Lord, we do finish well. Lord, there are many references in the scripture where you refer to us. Lord, as those who are conquerors. Lord, those who are victors. And I pray that, Father, in these areas, perhaps, Lord, where there's maybe been defeat or setback in some way, that, Lord, we would be overcomers. 
overcoming because of what you've done, what you've accomplished for us. Lord, on Calvary, we thank you for the cross today, your blessed cross. Lord, uh, a symbol that's, that stands high above humanity for all time and eternity. Lord, we pray this morning that we'd be as those who are quick to run to the cross. Lord, quick to turn. So, Father, we, uh, we pray, Lord, as you are speaking to your church today, not only to us, but across this world, speaking to your people. And time and time again, we hear you saying, for he who has ears to hear, Lord, let him hear. Give us, we pray, Father, those kinds of hearing ears and a listening heart. For, Lord, we realize there's such great value in responding to you. Responding to you, Lord, when we hear you speaking, Lord, into our lives. For, Lord, whether you whisper something sweet or whether you give a warning, Lord, they're, all, they're just as beneficial. So, Lord, I thank you for the things that you're doing. And Lord, I thank you for this book of Revelation that, Lord, may we be enriched by new insights, Lord, by new revelation, Lord, coming into our lives to bring you praise, to bring you honor, <laughs> to bring you glory. Lord, that's always the end game, the bottom line, that's always the result. We want to honor you, glorify you, want to live for you. We commit this time to you, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we look at the church here this morning that were told very simply that they, were, they had been compromised. You know, one of the main players in the biblical narrative is always hiding in the background. Uh, we know him as Satan, a.k.a. the devil. And we easily see his handiwork, his impact upon culture and upon society. We find in the book of Revelations, he's mentioned 13 times. His minions are mentioned three more times. But his name specifically is mentioned 13 times. And we find also, too, in this book of Revelation, he's very active. Because the Bible tells us that his time is short. And so when he, as he knows his time to be very short, um, he's going to be working overtime uh, to destroy lives. And I think that we see that as we look around our culture. We see the devastation. We see the wreckage. Um, and as even as Christians, we see the impact upon the church and how important it is uh, as we have come to this time in church history uh, that we take heed to the lessons that we find here in the book of Revelation. But for you and I, the Christian, we know that our adversary has been defeated. Can I hear an amen? amen. <laughs> but he's sort of like, he kind of reminds me of like Adolf Hitler. He knew a year before uh, the war would end that he was defeated. And I think the devil's pretty much like that. He's always working, uh, and especially knowing uh, he's headed for, a, heading, headed for a certain defeat. He's headed for the abuso, for the pit, that he wants to take as many as he can with him. But thank God for the cross of Jesus Christ that he is defeated um, for you and I, and that's a wonderful thing. You know, Paul, uh, over in uh, Colossians chapter 2, makes a statement to that effect when he says this, um, about the cross and about the, the impact, the effect of the cross, he says this, uh, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Now he's speaking here about that aspect of the law that condemned us, that condemned us to death. Uh, we, we, had, we, had nothing, we had no way to escape that other than Christ going to the cross and paying uh, that, you know, that sin debt for you and I. And so having wiped out this handwriting of, of uh, requirements that was against us, we, we couldn't measure up, uh, which was contrary to us. 
uh, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross and having disarmed principalities and powers. Now, he's speaking here about the demonic agencies. Every demonic agency has been defeated because of the cross. Having made a public, public spectacle uh, of them, triumphing over, over them in it. And so he's defeated the enemy because of the cross. Now, over in Ephesians chapter 2, he says something that's akin to this. And I just wanted to uh, just lay a foundation for this. But in chapter 2 of Ephesians, uh, in verses 14 through 16, if you just want to jot it down or turn there, whatever you want to do. But I'll read it for you. Uh, Paul writes here, for he himself, Christ, he's our peace. Uh, he's the peace offering. You know, he's the one that has purchased the peace for you and I. And, and as he comes into our life, he's that source of peace. Peace with God and, and also uh, you know, peace with, with people as well. Now he goes on to say, uh, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. I think that's very important. Now he's speaking primarily about the separation between the Jew and the Gentile. In other words, the Gentile uh, had no promise uh, he was outside, the, the, all Gentiles were outside of the covenants of God that were promised to Israel. And, he, and it's interesting, too, because Jesus Christ, not only in that way, but in all kinds of other ways, he is the one that breaks down. Think of all the things today that are separating people. Man, look at the political separation in our own country. You know, look at, look at the, the racial separation. That, that seems like it's reared its ugly head once again uh, in these last few years. And there's so many things that separate people, but aren't you thankful for what Jesus Christ has done? You know, that people that were formerly our enemies, just like we were formerly enemies of God. And, and, uh, and I, I love about what God does. He takes his enemies and he makes them his friends. And you see, because of that same work in our lives, uh, that he removes those things that separate us and divide us. Um, and, and we need to remember that. Remember, that's the work, that's one of the results of the cross. Uh, when we think about the, you know, so many of the, 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 the differences that put us at odds with people, uh, think, about some of the, think about some of the things you know, that just have separated people and created wars uh, over the years. Um, you know, look, at, look, at, uh, look at the war that we had with Germany. We're the best of friends with Germany. Look at the war that we have with Japan. Now we're the best of friends. But there's things that so often enter in there and create these separations and these divisions. And it's only, it's only through Jesus Christ, it's only through the gospel, it's only through the cross, uh, that those things that divide people, that separate people, can be removed. And we have to understand that because there can be oftentimes things, you know, in our relationship with other people uh, that the Lord wants to use us to remove that wall of separation, that thing that's separating us, um, some disposition, some attitude, some action, whatever the case it, it may be. Uh, because of the grace of Christ and the power of the gospel, you know, working through the Holy Spirit, that he can wonderfully change that. We have to always remember that. Um, and then he goes on to say, uh, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, uh, the adversity, uh, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Isn't it wonderful? Uh, Marjorie was just telling me a story. Uh, she was just uh, reading something recently about Corey Tenboom, and uh, she's a dear old saint that uh, um, survived a prisoner of war camp in World War II, and uh, and she has a book called Tramp for the Lord, and uh, how God just used her. Uh, after she was, you know, and when she was in prison, she was no kid. She was about 50 years old when she was in prison. And God used her all the way up to the 1990s. And she would just go around the world uh, in different places, wherever the Lord would lead her, uh, and just sharing the gospel. Where was it, honey, that's prison? Okay, Jamaica or some, someplace like that. And so uh, she ends up visiting the prison. And uh, uh, the warden says, uh, can you come back? And she says, well, I can come back. I'm here for a certain length of time. I'll come back twice a day. And he says, okay, do it. And so she goes around from cell to cell talking to people about the Lord. And, and these are hardened criminals. And, uh, and, and, she, and she, she's talking to this one fellow, 
and uh, she's saying, uh, she's asking him certain questions about, you know, uh, what's, what, you know, how he got here and all that. And, and she said, you must be, you know, considering what's happened to you, you must be full of hate. He says, oh, yes, I am. And she says, oh, I can relate to that. And if you remember the story about Corey Ten Boom, uh, because of the, 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 the maltreatment that she received, uh, she was absolutely filled with bitterness and resentment against her captors and what they were doing to her and certainly to, to other people as well. She, so she says to him, I can relate to that. And she ends up leading him to the Lord. And she said, this, this man was not only a half hour old in Jesus, and he's saying, you need to go over to that cell and you need to talk to him. I guess the cell across the way or whatever the case may be. And so she goes over there and she leads that guy to the Lord. And this was like about an hour later, and the one guy says to the other one, how you doing, brother? <laughs> it's amazing what God can do. And sometimes he can do it so quickly. He, he works so wonderfully, so quickly. And so, uh, praise God for you and I, that um, the enemy, we have to remember, our enemy is a running enemy. He's defeated. Um, he wields power. We have to respect that. We have to understand that. But we know that he's in, in the world today and he's working. And, and we no longer have to be or need to be and shouldn't be under his influences. But sometimes that happens. We see, remember, the, remember John tells us when we're in John, he, uh, John said about the world is under the sway. It's under the sway of the wicked one. In other words, he's saying how when we look at out the world, we can see the influence of darkness and of our enemy in the lives of people. That's why, they, that's why people do the things that they do. That's, that's why is, there is you know, separation and hatred. And uh, the big thing of the last couple weeks, um, you know, sexual predatory behavior and, <clears throat> and being oppressive you know, in that kind of way. These are why these things happen. Because there's sin in the human condition. And if someone isn't born again, the enemy will hold that power, that influence over their life. You know what it was like before you knew Christ. You can't even see into the kingdom. You can't understand the dynamic principles that we've embraced uh, you know, through the redemptive power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The redemptive power you know, through the word of God. God's word is so powerful. And I think sometimes we get so familiar with it. We become so familiar with it, we forget the tremendous power of the Word of God and what God is doing and wants to do, not only in our lives, but through our lives and the lives of other people. But here's the deal. Sin will open the door for the enemy to influence people and even affect people to a tremendous way. And I'm talking about even believers. We know this. We know this as perhaps maybe at some time or another we've dabbled. We've dabbled in the world. We've dabbled with sin. And, we, you know, we see so often today, um, you know, all the different uh, addictive uh, behaviors and how in the psychological sciences, you're trying to help these people, trying to do something. And, uh, you know, sometimes I, I've, I've, I've known these folks uh, that have, uh, you know, um, appealed to, you know, different groups, therapy groups and so forth to help them in their desperate situation. And a lot of times, uh, and maybe if you've, that's been a part of your life in, in the past or whatever, um, I've noticed that uh, these folks uh, usually have to go to these meetings five nights a week. And um, we, we had, uh, at one point, uh, we had my brother-in-law, and he was uh, battling, uh, he was battling a long-term addiction with, with alcohol. And he, and he was going every day. And he came up to visit us, and he said, he said, um, he said, I'm, I, I'm, he's trying to connect. He's trying to connect with an AA group, you know, up here. Um, but instead, you know, I uh, worked him over, and I brought him to church. And I brought him to Saturday morning's prayer meeting. And, and you know what? He had never been in a prayer meeting. And professing Christ, he had never been in a prayer meeting. He came out of that prayer meeting and said, man, that was awesome. That was, that was awesome. I'll tell you what, that's the step program we need. We need Jesus. You know, Jesus, he, he is come to what set the captive free and uh and uh, maybe if you're having a problem i'll be glad to have a bible study with you every night of the week if you want i'll tell you what the word of god will set you free here's the here's the ultimate therapy group 
you and Jesus. You and Jesus. You know, and, 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 and I think there is, I think there is um, a very important aspect of how we impact one another. And I've always said this, I haven't said it maybe for a while, but the church is God's original therapy group. Amen? Because why? He put us into a body. We need one another. We need to encourage one another. That's why be careful you don't isolate yourself from the body of Christ. You need to be involved in prayer meetings. You need to be involved in different activities, in, in you know, Bible study. You know, the early church, they had, you know, when, they, you know, when there was a church in their little community, um, you know, they were all within walking distance. They were involved with one another's lives all the time. And, and we were spread apart. You know, our, our, we, got, we live in a different culture. Uh, so we have to make an effort, you know, to get together and hang out and be around, you know, God's people. But the thing is here, sin will open the door for the devil's influence in our lives. We have to remember that. Uh, there's a key verse over in Psalm 125, verse 3. It's a key verse re regarding the principle that we see at work here. And it goes like this, the rod of the wicked. In the newer translations, it's the scepter. And a scepter was something that a ruler would hold, and it spoke of his sovereignty. The rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous. Or let me, let me, let me give you a little different translation. The scepter of the wicked shall not, shall not be on the land allotted to the righteous, lest unless the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. Folks, in these days of touchscreens, be careful what you touch. Amen? Be careful what you reach out to your hand to. Be careful that, that remote you have. Careful you don't push the wrong keys on that computer. Because it'll bring you into bondage. See, that's the wisdom. I got to keep. I, I have to be careful what I touch. I have to be careful what I allow and partake into my life. Now let's get to our text here in verse twelve. Now remember, Jesus introduces himself to each one of these churches uh, as some aspect of himself taken from the portrait in chapter one, and, and it's. What he introduces there is some aspect of himself that's relative to their present situation. He says to the angel of the church of Pergamos. The word Pergamos or Pergamon, depending on your translation, uh, basically means marriage. It can be used in either way, in a good way or a bad way. But the word Pergamos, interestingly, means marriage. But here's what the Lord says as he introduces himself. He, he, he refers to himself as he who has the sharp two-edged sword, revealing himself, just having that sharp... Now, remember, we talked about symbols. And we know what the sword means, right? Don't we? It's the Word of God. It's the truth. As a matter of fact, over in, in uh, what's it, Hebrews chapter 4, uh, the, 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 the writer there says, the Word of God is living and powerful. I, 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 happen, I like the other translation. I like a newer translation. that says, where the Word of God is alive. It's alive and it's active. It has great power, tremendous power to impact our lives, to change the course and destiny of our lives. Remember, Peter says you're born again by the word of God. And it has great power. Be careful that you don't set your Bible down for too long a time and take up too much TV watching or computer screen watching. Because the thing that's going to change things is the Word of God. God's, God's tremendous, life-changing power of the Word of God in the Scripture. Well, the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it pierces even to the division of soul and spirit. In other words, it cuts through all the issues. There's a lot of things. When it says soul there, it means that which just is of, you know, the heart and mind. The, the human way that we see things. But the Word of God cuts through all those issues, and it shows us, 
you know, the spiritual side, God's perspective. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Man, you could be reading the Bible, and man, the Holy Spirit will just search your heart with what you read. Or can we, we can be just like we're talking today about the Bible. And how quickly the Holy Spirit can, can apply that truth to some area of your life. And what it does is it uncovers the intention, the motivation. You know, that, the deep desire that can be in there. And, and if it does, let it do it. You know, let God's truth, let the Lord have his way. Because his word is alive. Always relevant. Always pertinent. Always applicable. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so, you know, our hearts are just so, you know, as we come before the word of God, um, he just, there's a beautiful transparency that we can have, how quickly he can give us insights and show us, you know, those things that are going on in our life. And, you know, sometimes through the Word of God can just warn you of something up, that's up ahead, something is yet future. You know, God's, God's Word can speak and, and to that particular situation. Remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. So when we speak about the truth, we're really speaking about the, the, the personification of truth is Jesus. The Word made flesh and dwelt among us. God's Word is so incredibly wonderful and powerful. And see, what happened was in, Mer in, in Pergamos, they got very lax regarding the truth. And everything began to just sort of slip away. Remember what, what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 2, that we need to take the most earnest heed or the most diligent attention to the things that we've heard, lest they slip, lest they begin to slip away. Have you ever been able to just maybe by the Holy Spirit see certain spiritual slippage in your life? All of a sudden, something slips out of the mouth. They're like, ugh. Can't believe I said that. Or certain thoughts begin to get traction in your thinking. Whereas there was, where there was you know, a period of time where like, man, that, did, that couldn't even enter in. We need to guard ourselves against the slippage that we see taking place, rather than just cave in. You know, rather than just give in to it. Well, I can't, I, I, I'm, not, I'm powerless against that. No, you're not. You have the power of the living God. That, that, you know, when I think Paul says, you know, fight the good fight, that's what I think he's talking about, the good fight of faith. And a lot of times it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's sort of wrestling in a sense with ourselves, with our, our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses, our tendencies. I think we need to say, I'm not giving in to that. Listen to how powerful the word is. I, I was just reading this this morning uh, out of a devotional. Uh, <clears throat> and the title of this is, I was only 15. I was only 15 years old. In the former East Germany, 15-year-old uh, Wilfried Goddard was summoned to appear in a closed room before the authorities. School leaders, lo local government officials, and the Communist Party functionaries. Uh, would he or would he not join the communist youth organizations? Would he or would not join the, the, car the communist army? The young man was in the tightest spot of his life, for he was a dedicated Christian who wanted nothing to do with the godlessness of communism. Uh, he later recalled, quote, to sit there as a youngster and defend yourself against five grown men sitting opposite you who try to overwhelm you and intimidate you is not easy. He said, my heart was pounding. At first, Wilfred, um, or Wilfred uh, appeared frightened and unsure of what to say. But as he silently prayed, I was given a word from God. It was Colossians 2.8. Quote, see to it that no one takes you captive through vain and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world rather than of Christ, end quote. When Wolfred quoted the verse in his defense, wrote journalist Barbara uh, von der Hoyt, quote, he was surprised to see how disarming the effect was. That, in other words, he quoted the scripture to them. 
Now, maybe to a lot of us, that doesn't make any sense. But he quoted the scripture in Colossians to them. And he was surprised to see how disarming the effect of it was. The men interrogating him had age, rank, and numbers on their side. Yet this simple retort from the 15-year-old left them stymied. The interview stopped. It sputtered to an end. And they decided to let him go, and they made no more attempts to change his mind. End of quote. And in that moment, Wolfert said, I really experienced what it says in the Bible, that when you're led before the authorities, that you shouldn't be concerned about what you should say. It was really a gift from God. To have such words in a situation wasn't due to my quick-wittedness or anything. I was only 15. These are the practical experiences of faith in the everyday. They have a lasting effect when you experience them and realize that's, what, that's what's in the Bible and that's what is true. You see, that's not only, that only works for Wilfred, it works for you and me. God's word has power. Hey, I think sometimes what we need to do, we need to quote it to ourselves. And, and that's the value. I think that's the value of daily reading the Bible. That it's inspirational. And I have found so often, so often, and it's not just coincidence, I have found so often when I have read the Bible in the morning for my devotional time, there is something there that has come into play later in the day that has inspired me. And I know that will happen for you as well. The truth is so valuable. The truth is so important. And when somebody begins to go down, that's what's begun to slip in their life. The truth has begun to slip. And we need to guard ourselves against that. So important. So vital. Now, Jesus understood that this church was in a really tight spot. They, they were in a very difficult situation. Um, in Pergamos, there was a giant throne, a giant throne seat that was dedicated to Zeus. Uh, and, and Zeus was basically the god of the, 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 the you know, he was a god over all gods, um, so-called uh, in the whole mythology of it. Uh, Poseidon was his brother. Hades was his brother. Um, they had some kind of contest, and it went to Zeus, and so he became uh, the head over all the Olympia gods. Uh, and so they had, they had basically uh, put a throne there, um, you know, dedicating it, you know, to Zeus. And he was the god of the sky, you know, the god of the heavens and the god of the rain. So when someone in that culture looked up in the heaven, uh, you know, they were inspired by Jehovah God of the Old Testament, uh, but they were thinking of Zeus. And he goes on to say something interesting here, that they were simply living in the devil's headquarters. He says, I, I, know, where, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. In other words, there was such a powerful satanic effect in that culture, in the community you know, of, of Pergamos, and how, how that no doubt impact, impacted other people. You know, uh, so many times when we would go back to Philadelphia after we were saved, you know, I could feel the oppression going back into the city. And when I look back at my life, and I look back at some of the things that took place in my life and, and with people I knew, I realized that there was a, there was a demonic oppression. And I, I had no way of knowing that before. But oh, how I sensed it as a believer, being set free from that. And, and to go back and to, to, to interact and to, to witness, you know, to some of my friends and family members. Uh, every time I go back, I, I tr we try to in some kind of way reach out, you know, to somebody. But you see people so often, you know, they're just sort of, they're, they're, they're stuck in a certain pattern of living. And only Jesus Christ can break that pattern because whether we realize it or not, we're in an invisible war and many people are controlled by the influences, the demonic influences that are taking place. I'm not saying everybody's demon-possessed. I'm not saying that. But there's an influential, you know, uh, process that takes place in, in, in the unsaved culture around us. And, and Satan works very hard to keep people bound and blinded to the truth. 
And that's why it is important that we speak the truth because that's what's going to set people free. It's only the light of Jesus Christ coming through the truth and the word of God that can enter in to the equation of someone's life. And all of a sudden, boom, you know, the light goes on. Wow, I never saw that before. And I believe that even before someone gets saved, that begins to happen. That begins to happen. They begin to see things in it with, with a different perspective. But they still got to give their life to Christ. They still have to commit themselves to Christ. It's called the prevenient work of Christ, where he's working in your life before a person is actually saved. He does that. He protects you. But at the same time, too, he's drawing you unto himself. And, and all of a sudden, you begin to hear snippets. You begin to hear little snippets of truth along the way. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's interesting. I was hearing truth, and, 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 and uh, before I became a believer, I was hearing truth and agreeing with it and liking it. But when I was faced with the fact that it was Jesus, all of a sudden, you know, the brakes went on. And many people do that because they don't realize that he's the very personification of truth, and that he's God. And I remember, I distinctly remember something I said, is that, okay, I can, have, I can accept God, but I don't know about Jesus. Yeah. I can accept the God idea, but I don't know about Jesus. I think a lot of people have that same, same issue. I'm not just talking about Jewish people. I think all people, um, or most people anyway, have trouble with those things. Now he says here, you hold fast to my name. You do not deny my faith. Even in the days of which Antipas, my faithful martyr, was killed among you. And again, he, he, he mentions it again, where Satan dwells. And so basically, they're hanging on to Jesus. They're not denying him. And, and one of their own, so, you know, somebody by the name of Antipas, very wonderfully took a stand. He set a standard, and he wouldn't deny his Lord. Now, you and I may not be faced with that kind of situation but I still think it's important to make a stand and to tell people about Jesus when we have the opportunity. And you know what? We all get the opportunity, don't we? We all get the, remember what Jesus said. Uh, these, these words have always kind of frightened me a little bit. I think they need to. <laughs> Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father in heaven. Wow. That's why when you confess him before men, you're blessed. He's praying for you, confessing you before the Father. It is. It, it is such a, you know, so, you ever hear Unshackled on the radio? I love that show. It's, it's such a cool, you know, stories about these people. And many times it's just, he, you know, and these, these are just, you know, dramatized radio stories of, of real situations. And when I hear them, I, I like I want to cry when I hear somebody get saved. Oh, Lord, that's so wonderful. <laughs> Isn't it just something wonderful about people getting saved and coming to the Savior? It's glorious. And I can hear a story 100 years old. And it's like, oh, wonderful, wonderful. And he goes on to say, but whoever denies me before men, I will deny, I will also deny him before my Father is in heaven. I don't know if you been on the blogosphere this week but uh, from time to time certain things you know get on the christian blogosphere and this was about a pastor uh, of a mega church down in new york city uh, hillsong church and he was recently on the view okay everybody knows about the view okay it's another view <laughs> it's another perspective uh, it's not ours but uh, the author says this, we, we saw that recently uh, well-known pastor Carl Lentz appeared on ABC's The View. Lentz spoke boldly in no uncertain moral terms about the issue of racism. Uh, as well he should. Christians should condemn racism wherever and wh wherever and whenever it rears its ugly head. But when asked directly about abortion or whether or not he considers it a sin, Lentz couldn't give a straight answer. 
Now, he's a pastor of a megachurch. Instead, he spoke of having a conversation, of finding out a person's story. That's okay, to a degree. And where they're from and what they believe. Quote, he says this, I mean, God's the judge. And so he concluded, quote, people have to live by their own convictions. See, he had an opportunity, a great opportunity. He had the platform. But, but you know, I think what happens is simply we're afraid of not being accepted by people. That, that's it. It, it, it the, the same thing that he has in him, we have in us. It's what the Bible calls the fear of man. The article goes on, predictably, the progressive studio audience heard this as an affirmation of the so-called right to choose and rewarded Lentz with a thunderous applause. And this upset a lot of pro-lifers who felt uh, that this highly visible pastor had squandered a chance to speak up for the unborn. Lentz quickly took to social media to defend his word, but the damage was done. A watching world had heard a famous Christian pastor buckle on a crucial issue of our time, right after taking principal stands on other issues. Um, and this is the key that, that wouldn't cost him anything with the ladies or the audience of The View. And, you know, it's easy to condemn him. But what about us? Uh, what was the, the, the article was entitled, interesting, um, uh, Don't Crack Under Cocktail Party Pressure. And I think sometimes we, we, we crack under coffee room, lunchroom pressure. The pressure, and, and I know this just like you. There's been times I have folded. And I'm not even before an audience. And none of us usually are. But I think we need to be like, we, I think we need to take a, take a page from Antipas. I mean, he went to his death. None of us will probably ever be called to do that. Except that maybe the death of a friendship the death of what someone thinks about me. And I think we have to be willing. I think it's important that we're willing to pay that price. I want to confess him before men. It's so important that as we're given the opportunity, I want him confessing me before the Father. I don't want to shrink back. I, I don't want to just be so controlled by the fear of man that I'm basically cowardly about it. Now, here it comes in verse 14. I have a few things against you. Now, remember, um, Ephesus had one thing against them. They abandoned love, right? In other words, they had, they had abandoned a core virtue. They had all their doctrine lined up. And sometimes a person can have all their doctrine right, but when they're not loving, you know what happens? You, get, you can get hard and brittle and angry at people. You can get judgmental because they're just not measuring up the way we are here or the way I am. They had abandoned love. No, he says, I have a few things against you that you have those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Now, here's the deal with Balaam. We know Balaam was a false prophet and Balak um, hired him basically to come and curse the children of Israel. He tried that in every possible direction, couldn't do it. But he gave him this wicked insight of how to bring down God's people, how to stumble God's people. 
And that was basically the introduction of sexual immorality. Because there's nothing like that to bring defeat to the children of God. Oh, the enemy knows that. He's always known that. And I'll tell you what, when you look at New Testament culture, and, and it seems like every generation has had its issues with this whole matter. I, I mean, you've got, before you, before you get to Genesis chapter 20, you've got whole cultures living in homosexuality. And I'm talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. So it's, in a sense, it's really nothing new. It's always existed. And God's people have always had to deal with the temptation and the sexual immorality around the culture. And it's ever encroaching with us, with our culture today. I pray in a passionate way for the marriages of my children. I pray for my grandchildren. You know, you see these stories about children five and six years old with this gender confusion. And, and, and here the parents are controlled by the cultural mindset out there to help children, you know, at early ages, um, you know, relative to the whole matter of transsexuality and changing their sexual identity. And yet we often don't hear about the statistics on the other end of so many people that have been involved in changing their sexuality. Tremendously high suicide rate. And there's a lot of people, a lot of young people that feel a sense of gender confusion as the hormones begin to take over their life. And, and we see all the political correctness out there. And sometimes, folks, we're just afraid to say anything. We got the truth. We got the truth. We, we don't have to get on picket lines and scream the truth at people. But you know, we need to speak the truth in love. And I think we need to push back against people because we have a disagreement with, with, with the philosophy of life and the political correctness out there. That simply because we don't agree, that no, we're not haters. We love people. And because we love people, we want to tell them the truth. Because we know the truth will impact their life and change their life. Now, this teaching, the, the, what, to however it boiled down there in Pergamos, is this, 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 what Jesus calls the, the teaching of Balaam or the doctrine of Balaam. It was basically encouraging all kinds of loose morals, and it was avoiding, you know, you know when you talk about the whole issue of abstinence today, it's like, oh, we can't have that, for goodness sakes. <laughs> As if there's something... So horrible and impossible about abstinence. And God will help us. He'll help us. There's a lot of things in life you know we abstain from. You don't stick your hand in fires, okay? You don't drink polluted water. I mean, there's a whole lot of things that wisdom dictates to us that we abstain from. You know, we look at food and it just doesn't look like the right color or smell the right way. It's gone. I'm going to abstain from that. But why, why is it about sex? What it is simply, it's the, it's the lust in the heart. That's what it is. And the culture believes that, well, that can't be curbed. As, as if that's just the, the natural expression. And look what it's doing 
Look at the devastation. You know, one thing about every religious cult and even secular type cults, they all practice sexual immorality of every sort. That's why when you see these groups, all the, you know, as they take the layers back, oh, there's a whole lot of sexual immorality. And I think no one can match the stumbling blocks in this whole matter as Hollywood and the porn industry. They have devastated. They have devastated so many lives. But why, why, why is it about some of these stars and starlets that they get to a certain point? We're, Margie and I were talking about it yesterday, you know, about the, uh, I can remember the, the, the 60s. It was uh, Janis Joplin, uh, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison. Uh, you get to a certain point of, 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 of popularity, and you just, you, you go into self-destruct. Because God hasn't designed that. And, and look what it does to so many people in our society, in our culture, in the world. And he says in verse 15, they also had this. And remember, we, we find this also too over in uh, the church to Ephesus, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which Jesus says. This is the second time in this chapter where he says this is something he hates. And these were a group of men that lorded it over the church, professional to a point of, 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 of uh, special clothing. They themselves only, they only thought they had the truth. They're the ones that had the, you know, the insights, the revelations about God, and they were very, very mystical. And one of the things, too, they had fashioned themselves pretty much kind of like an Old Testament priesthood. And you can see a flavor of this in the Orthodox churches today. Controlling people. You've got to kiss a ring. I kissed the ring. I kissed the ring of the man who married Margie and I. He was archbishop of the Catholic Church. All the vestments and the special robes that set a person apart and put them on a pedestal. That's dangerous. And Jesus says he hates it. When you, when you revere somebody to the point where you call them father. Years ago, Somebody came into the church, and they were looking for a church. And he said, he called me father. <laughs> I had to correct him on that one right away. <laughs> and you know what? I'll be honest with you. I, I don't want you to call me reverend. I'm your brother in Christ. I, I, I'm not, I'm, the Bible says holy and reverend is his name. And I think it's a dangerous situation. And, and look in some of, these, some of these institutions, some of these establishments and organizations where people, where there's predatory sexual behavior. Because why? These people are put on such a, a pedestal that whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do, tragic. And Jesus says he hates it. Because it elevates people up here and puts other people down here. And we all stand at the foot of the cross. Amen. Nobody's better than anybody else. Now his answer. Was concise and clear. When he says very simply in verse 16. Repent. In other words. Let's put it this way. Make a U-turn. I don't like making U-turns. You know, you're driving for about an hour and your wife is saying, 
honey, would you pull over and ask somebody for directions? I know where I'm going. I'm sure. And then another half hour, you finally you have to make the U-turn. Because why? You're going in the wrong direction. You know that Christian life is a series of U-turns? I've had to make a lot of spiritual U-turns where the Lord has come in and said, okay, <laughs> time to turn around, Ray. Moving in the wrong direction. He says, repent or else I'll come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And so when a person wrestles and resists God's truth as we know it, it's dangerous because why? You're fighting against Jesus. Man, I don't want to fight against Jesus. But you know, I've discovered that in my resistance and wrestling against situations that I've actually been fighting against him. I didn't know it. You know, before a person comes to Christ, they're fighting with the Lord. That They're resisting him. can't win. We were just studying Jacob in Genesis. Remember after, he was about 70 years old when he got to Peniel. And, and he, was the, he was in the godly lineage. He was in the patriarchal family. He was in the messianic line. And God's been blessing him all along. And yet he's been resisting and fighting God. And remember, he wrestles all night long with, with the Lord. And then in the morning, he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. <laughs> and the outward expression of that blessing, you know what? It crippled him. There was something that took place deep within his life. In other words, to me, I, I think probably to, to most, that was his redemptive moment. That was when he finally surrendered. He finally gave up. He finally said to God, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let go. And that moment was transformational. And it always is when we stop striving, we stop fighting, we let go, and we let God. All of a sudden, the life of God comes into us, the power of God, the change, the change that we, that we need. Now, he closes this message with a special promise. He who has ears to hear, who has an ear to hear, rather, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is really, in a sense, this is what the Spirit is saying to his church today. To anybody that will listen, anybody that will hear it. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. You see, we overcome because why he overcame. I've been hearing a song on radio, um, maybe in the last six months or something like that, uh, from a young lady whose name is Mandisa. She sings it like this. It's kind of a catchy tune. You're an overcomer. Stay in the fight till the final round. You're not going under because God is holding you up right now. I tell you, when I hear that song, I want to get my gym clothes on. But it's true. You're an overcomer. Because he makes us to overcome. He gives us the wherewithal. He gives us the ability. And it's sort of like If I'll believe that, it'll take place. That, that's where faith comes in, right? Not, that's not positive thinking. It's faith. L listen, to, listen to what Paul says. I, I think Romans chapter 8 is one of the greatest uh, chapters of the Bible. It, it's so powerful. The, the Holy Spirit's mentioned like 20 times in, in Romans 8. But, but listen to Paul. Um, now, he's speaking here about some of the struggles and things that we go through. He said, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
hey, God is for you. Well, you don't know what's against me. It doesn't matter. It's inconsequential. God is for you. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Answer, no. Someone condemning you? Someone accusing you? God's not bringing a charge against you. Who is he who condemns? Is it Christ who died, furthermore is risen? Who is even at the right hand of the Father, who also makes intercession for us? It's the third time he says in these couple of verses, for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Even in death we're victorious. No matter what the devil can throw at us or this world, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. It's the Greek word hypernikeo. Hypernike. We're more. We're super conquerors, as one translation puts it. We are more than conquerors through him, through him who loves us, through what he's accomplished for us. You're a victor, you're an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror. That we always, he always leads us in triumph. Don't just look at your circumstances. Don't, don't just depend on your feelings. Be careful that you don't get beat down by what other people say about you. He is conquered on our behalf. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And it's not our faith in our faith, it's our faith in Him. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. Praise God. And he says, I'll give you the hidden manna. In other words, that, that secret manna that will nourish your soul and nourish your life. Spiritual food that will raise you up. And thirdly, he says, I'll give to you a white stone. That's a white stone of approval with a new name. A new name. In other words, you're a new creature. You have a new nature. You have a new future. All the wonderful promises. And all God says, just turn to me. Look to me. We were looking at a scripture yesterday in the scripture in the Bible with, uh, with uh, Pastor Ray. Look to me. What's it say in Isaiah? Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth. We'll just simply look to him. He says what? Behold, I make all things new. Do you need something made new in your life today? If you do, please stand up, and we're going to pray together. If you want something new to be done in your life, please stand up. If you don't, you can sit down. I want everything new he wants to give. Amen? Lord, we praise you. We look to you. We, we thank you. You've made us new creatures. You've given us a new name, a new life. And Lord, we love you. Father, I pray for each one of us here this morning. And yes, it's true, Lord. We need. We need things to be freshened up. We want to walk in newness of life. 
Lord, many of us perhaps have been beat up by circumstances. And Father, we want to change. We want to see a change. And in areas, Lord, where we need to change, that, Lord, you might do that. Oh, God, I pray your blessing upon your people. We come this morning. We come and we need that secret manna. We need to be nourished up with words of faith. And I pray, Father, that as we, from day to day, go for that daily bread, that you would give inspiration and insight. Give us faith for the day, Lord, to walk with you. Lord, we want to, we wanna, like Corey Ten Boom, many people in prison, not in cells, but imprisoned by sin. And so give us, I pray, dear Lord, opportunities to speak into their life, encourage them, and help them, Lord, to give their life to you. So go before us, Father, as we now, Lord, enter into this holiday season. Lord, may we, may we take a stand and speak the name of Jesus. Lord, to our families, to our loved ones, to our friends, to our coworkers, to our neighbors. Lord, the world's a very needy place. They don't know it, but Lord, you know it, and how, Lord, you can make change. So, Lord, we praise you, bless you. We thank you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.